guess. What's up? Uh, guess, could you shut the door so I can do I'm doing the podcast. Do you want to shut the door? Yeah, okay. No, 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 shut the door now? Yeah. Okay, it's about to start. Let's go. So welcome to Bar and Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician and awards programs and industry organizations are an important part of children's music and the deeper you get into it, the more complicated they can seem to be, at least to me. And one of the largest competitions that's out there currently is the Grammys. And so I thought it would be valuable to spend some time chatting with someone who knows a lot more about the uh, Recording Academy than I certainly do. So this person is a nine-time Parents' Choice Gold Award winner, talking about competitions and things like that and awards, and also three-time Grammy nominee. But we're going to let him discuss a little bit more about that in greater detail uh, as we bring Justin Roberts to the barn. Hi, Justin. How are you? Hey, Andrew. Great uh, great to be here. So I wanted to talk to you because I know that you are not only a perennial contributor to children's music and have a long history, and I, I want to hear a little bit about that, but also you've been engaged uh, politically with the Grammys and are probably really aware, probably much more aware of the process and the whole Recording Academy thing than I could ever be. Yeah, I... Um... It's been something that uh, I was gradually introduced to in Chicago. I'm, I'm part of the Chicago chapter. Um, and when I first moved to town, uh, this was back in 1997, <laughs> a long time ago, I uh, came here to go to graduate school, but I had, uh, the summer before, I'd recorded a children's record just for, for the fun of it, uh, because I'd written some songs with preschoolers, uh, and I moved to town and was going to graduate school in something entirely different than children's music. And when I got here, some uh, friends of mine told me that there was going to be a uh, a meeting at the Recording Academy with a bunch of ch- children's musicians in Chicago, just kind of talking about, um, you know, how to how to release records and how to do things in kids' music. And so I went to the office and had a there was a luncheon with Ella Jenkins and. Uh, Joel Frankel and a few other folks that were doing kids music at the time and uh, I got to meet with them and that was kind of my introduction to the Recording Academy in general you know and even after that I don't think I even tried joining until several years after that I eventually became a member and started submitting my records and and then I got kind of more interested in actually running for the board and getting involved um, at a deeper level my introduction to the Recording Academy was just kind of getting information about music, which it was a great introduction to kids' music. And, you know, I got to meet Ella Jenkins, which was amazing uh, to begin with. So from a, kind of stepping back just a little bit, you, you, you've you done, thir- I think, 13 albums now? And some yeah. books and some uh, Broadway-style productions, and all in the children's music or family-friendly genre? 
Yeah, so I, you know, I made that first record, which was Great Big Sun, having no intention to be a, being a children's musician. Um, but it kind of took off a little bit on its own, and I finished the master's program I was in and decided not to do a PhD and instead decided to try to make a living as a kid's musician. Um, and that was in 2000. And so I made a second record called yellow bus and started hired a publicist, which was some of the information I got from talking to children's musicians around town. Uh, and I hired Beth Blends Lucas, who I've been working with ever since started just touring solo, like, booking shows in bookstores and wherever anyone would have me and selling records at shows and that sort of thing, which you could do back in the early two oh, thousands. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different world. Yeah. And since then I've made 13 records and I've written one musical uh, for kids and I'm working on a second uh, for Nashville children's theater for next year. And I've written two books for Putnam and I have two more on the way. Yeah. It was something I fell into um, out of college, I was playing in a band, and I took a day job as a preschool teacher, found myself singing Sam Cooke songs and, and Irish jigs for kids, and then I started writing stuff just for fun, and uh, it turned out to be really liberating to write for kids, because you could sort of write in any style, and I started to realize that kids were able to kind of take in anything you gave them, and so it became really fun just to make up songs with the kids in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning of it. It's funny a lot of a lot of musicians that I talk to kind of fall into it in the same way, where it's it gets kind of infectious as soon as you start doing it and you're around it. You get that positive energy and that positive feedback cycle. It just becomes sort of addictive to be like, yeah, I just want to get deeper and deeper into this. Yeah, and even like musicians I've invited to be on stage, you know, for playing horns or or whatever. I love seeing that kind of people's perspective going from, I don't know if I want to do that to like, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. It's better than an adult audience. <laughs> so, Well, the hours are usually better. That's for sure. That for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so then you, you approach this and I'm not going to say you're like every other um, children's musician out there because uh, I've heard your work and it's top shelf. It's you, you're, you're clearly a cut above when it comes to both writing and recording and then performing. Anybody can just go on YouTube and watch some of your performances and kind of get, get a feel for that. But, that's and that's all the um, praise I'm going to give you for the entire show. It's all going to get hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is that, so you enter it, like, like almost everybody enters it and they get engaged to it, but then there's that next level where there's professional organizations and uh, there's resources. You're in Chicago um, I know I'm in the mountains of Montana where yep. it may not feel like I have that network, but, uh, but without, you do, but I do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so if you could, for somebody who doesn't know anything about this and they just picked up a guitar and they put together three chords and their first, you know, what does a cow say song? Yep. What is, what, what are the Grammys? What is the recording Academy? And, and what does this organization do? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I explained how I initially found out about it was that they just had an event. And at that point, it was open to anybody because I don't know that I was a member at that point. So I found out about it through that and then found out that I could join, which I didn't realize. Uh, you know, you have to have so many recordings and, you know, be someone who's at least temp attempting to be a professional musician and trying to make a living at it. And you apply and uh, 
get accepted, and I think I did that maybe in 2004 or five. You know, I was playing around town and things like that. And the executive director of the Chicago chapter reached out to me at some point and said, hey, have you ever thought of running for the board? And I think it was just because I was in town, you know, trying to make a name for myself in children's music. And I was like, no, but I, I would be interested. And I ran and lost. And <laughs> that was it. <laughs> uh, you know, and I kept submitting my records. And uh, the year that the first year I got nominated, I think it was shortly after I was nominated, Tara Healy, who was the executive director at the time, emailed me again and said, hey, would you, you know, I know you tried last time and it didn't work, but they were wanting you to run again for the board. And I, I was like, sure, I'll do it. And I did it. And I ended up getting elected to the board. And I think I got on the board. And then I asked myself the same question you're asking me is, what does this organization do? You know, it really took me a little while on the board to get a sense of the breadth of what the Recording Academy does, and also find my place in it. And I think you know, everyone knows about it from the awards, but that is such a small factor of what the Recording Academy does. It's really just the way that we raise money to do the other work that we do. There's different arms of things that the Recording Academy does, but the thing that I got hooked on was the advocacy stuff, which is something that was started by uh, the former president and CEO, Neil Portnow. He sort of saw that we needed some voices in Washington and wanted this to be a big part of the, who the Recording Academy was. And so... They started an advocacy arm, and they had an office in Washington, D.C., and they started doing these events where they would musicians would volunteer to go and lobby Congress to change music laws. And uh, one of the early ones they did was the ability to carry your guitar on board an airplane. You know, and that took a lot of lobbying and a lot of law changing to make that happen. I got involved in lobbying and enjoying trying to change laws in Congress, and. Uh, got so involved that, that they ended up uh, asking me to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary on the Music Modernization Act, which passed uh, a year or so ago, um, which was just this major music bill that no one ever thought could get bipartisan support. That's part of what the Recording Academy does is the advocacy stuff, and I would recommend uh, anyone that's listening to this to look into District Advocate Day, which this year is happening October 2nd. But it happens every year, and you do it in your own community, and you go and talk to your uh, members of Congress about music bills. And you can sign up online, and you get all the information you need, and you go there with other people who know what's going on. And uh, if you're like me, you might find that it feels very empowering and is sort of a blast. So there's that. There's uh, Music Cares, which gives money to musicians in need, and it can be anything from drug and alcohol recovery to uh, somebody's in between tours and they can't pay their rent, or somebody has a sudden medical bill that they cannot handle. And you don't even have to be a member of the Recording Academy, you just have to be a full-time musician. That organization gives away millions and millions of dollars every year and just turns people's lives around, which in itself is is reason enough to join the Recording Academy. I think one of the people that I lobbied Congress with was a musician from Iowa, and I met him, and the first thing he said was, is the Recording Academy the organization that does Music Cares? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, they saved my life. And then he described this story about how you know they just helped him turn around his life. So that part of the Recording Academy is amazing. And then we do, we're, there's a new initiative for uh, music in schools, trying to make it so every public school in the country has a music teacher, which is a long-term initiative, but they've already started it 
in some pilot cities uh, in Philadelphia and a few others, and they're getting great feedback. And so that's another element of the Recording Academy. But I think all those things combined is sort of why I got more interested in being a part of the, the board and uh, and getting more involved that way. But you don't have to be on the board to do this. You just have to become a member and contact your executive director. And even if you're in a rural part of the country like you are, it doesn't matter because you know we represent, even the Chicago chapter represents all of the states surrounding us and even a little farther away. So whether people are in Minnesota or Ohio or Iowa, <clears throat> they're part of the Chicago chapter. And we try to do some events in other areas and people are always invited to come to events here. And we, you know, try to rally them when we're doing advocacy work and things like that. So you can get involved no matter where you are. Okay. So kind of uh, breaking that apart and going back to the beginning. Yeah. So there's a lot more to the recording Academy than, uh, you, than I think anybody, most anybody could see on the surface. Yep. For instance, I've been a member for about four years and I didn't know, even even with all of the marketing and communication material that I received, I didn't really know about the Music Cares, specifically what it is about or what it does. Yeah, and the, and the breadth of it. I think most people know it as drug and alcohol recovery, maybe. But mm -hmm. it, it helps in short-term ways with just people who aren't making their rent that month because of something that happened. And uh, it's kind of amazing that, you know, and then in, in addition to when there are horrible natural disasters, uh, they go in and, and help for people who have their studios flooded or if someone, you know, has their studio robbed or whatever it is, like somebody who goes through some horrible situation, the Recording Academy is there to try to help the musician get back on their feet. And then the, um, I did know a little bit about the advocacy. I've actually seen your testimony in front of the um, uh, Senate Gosh. Judicial Committee. No, it was totally I know, cool. the most You're there nervous I've ever Robinson been. And Josh it was crazy. Well, was it really? Yeah, it was so oh, man, you, you pulled it off. I was like, and see, and then I got, I got nervous thinking about, like, I'm going to talk to Justin Roberts today. And man, he's like a heavy hitter. He wears suits uh, in the Senate and, uh, you know, says these things that are really, you know, but it's, uh, Anybody listening to this, if you if you get an opportunity to just do a quick YouTube search for Justin Roberts and the it was the AMP Act, wasn't it? It was the I, I, what I saw you talking about was specifically for producers. Yeah, rights. so there was I mean there were several people on the panel and I was representing the AMP Act for producers' rights, but there was uh, Smokey Robinson representing the Legacy Act, which helps uh, make sure people that made recordings prior to 1972 get paid royalties by uh, satellite radio, and then there was. Um, a songwriter representing the songwriting arm of things. So because it was an omni omnibus bill with all these different elements, we had kind of one person from each area. And it was sort of fun to represent producers as an artist and not as a producer, uh, which made it a little bit unique just to explain oh, how yeah. important a producer can be to a, an artist uh, in what they do. Yeah, the examples that you used, the fact that you're able to pipe in music to actually demonstrate that during the uh, committee was like, it was pretty. I mean, it was really cool. Yeah. It was, and it, and that was part of what made me feel a little bit, uh, a little bit more warm and fuzzy towards the recording academy, because from um, when I joined, I didn't have the cred to become a voting member. And to be honest with you, the only thing that I thought about was the voting aspect mm -hmm. of it, was the awards ceremony, because it's the most forward-facing aspect of yep. it. And just to to step back a little bit further. Uh, I think there's about 5% of the uh, artists who are members of the Recording Academy are children's musicians. So that's about 
That's the latest figure okay. I saw. It's about 5%, somewhere in there. Which is probably pretty good, uh, right? <laughs> when you look at some of the other genres, well, I don't even know, but maybe yeah, I think considering so. um, how small the genre is. It does It does feel kind of small. Um, a separate podcast, you know, that you're welcome to join, maybe a panel discussion would be fun, would be, holy cow, does it seem like children's music has just gotten really big really fast Yeah, again? <laughs> maybe, right. You know? Um, because it, it does it does to me, but anyway, the uh, so there was the whole thing about the Grammys, and I joined. I didn't have enough credit or enough um, industry recognition to become a full voting member, but I was able to become a professional member. Yep, which you know means that you're engaged with it. You pay the same amount of dues. You don't get to vote, but you do get to submit albums. Yep. you know to the to the Grammys and that sort of thing. And then. This year, it looks like it's kind of changed again as far as the nomination process and the whole, the whole way that you can go from either not being a member to a professional or to be a, a, a full voting member. Um, it seems like the organization is also being a little bit more proactive as far as trying to get people of color and women involved and, and expanding its, its reach just across the board. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, a big part of that new nomination process, but also it's... You know, I think when I joined, it was just a matter of numbers, and you you filled out something online and pointed to allmusic.com where your credits were, mm-hmm. and you know they charged your card, and it was kind of a little bit impersonal. <laughs> and uh, now it's more that you you get nominated by members, or, or you can even be outside members, but people in the music community, and uh, you go through a process. But when you're actually selected. Um, you know, you get a really special welcome and uh, we sort of keep track of who's coming in and there's a lot more kind of making sure people understand what the organization is and get involved right away rather than just becoming a member and getting a piece of paper in the mail. So right. I think it, it'll be interesting to see what people's reaction is, but I think it's been exciting so far just seeing some of the social media stuff of various bands that have made it in and, you know, are excited about it and, feel a part Mm -hmm. of the organization early on so as far as being a musician and being engaged in the community i think you've made the argument that supporting the supporting the the recording academy becoming an active member becoming a member and then being an active member if that's within your capacity that there's you know there's merit to this organization yeah so we we, i can say we could we established that and that's and i agree with that personally Mostly because there isn't a whole lot out there advocating for independent musicians in general. Yeah. In children's music, I, what I found really attractive about the Grammys is that it it appeared to me to be one of the few genres where there were honestly independent musicians who were uh, receiving this sort of recognition. The Okie Dokie Brothers are not signed with Disney, right? You know. As far as I know, maybe they are now. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, if they did, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> but it did seem to be like it's kind of it was it was one of those things that surprised me when I went through the list of past winners and saw and and watched a couple or listened to rather a couple of the of the ceremonies because they have the the one where the children's are is a it's a separate ceremony from the big one at night. It is, but it's the main one. Uh, it's most of the categories are given away at that, and you know it's everything from. Well, it depends on the year. Sometimes they switch it or switch it up, but you know, you'll see, you know, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco there, 
you know, because they often do best alternative album there. Uh, I've seen Tony Bennett because they'll do the vocals category, pop vocals, I guess is what he would be in. And, you know, all the bluegrass and all that kind of stuff. So it's, there's probably, there's, I think, 88 categories in the Recording Academy. And I, I would say, this is off the top of my head, but I would say, like, they only probably do eight of, or ten of them at the show, and the rest are done at the other event. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's it's not like it's just the smaller categories. It's some really big categories get announced there as well. Yeah, I know they do, uh, you know, uh, world music and uh, new age, but then the whole Americana stuff yep. gets presented there. And that was especially big this yeah. year because that's, that's a big, uh, it's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that it, I'll be curious to see if it stays there or if they start to move that to the, to the evening uh, presentation at some point. Well, that was one thing they did this year that was unique that uh, I think ended up working well was the larger categories, Record of the Year and Album of the Year, they changed it from eight nominees uh, from five. And I think in a lot of ways, it opened the doors for a little bit more diversity in those categories, because those categories, uh, and not just diversity in, in gender and things like that, but also just in genre, that you had albums of the year that were outside the usual uh, pop categories that I think tend to get nominated the most. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of exciting just to bring some of those artists onto the show and to have them have exposure like they've never had in their lives. Notwithstanding the fact that it's, uh, that there can be independent children's musicians like yourself Mm -hmm. nominated and in, and thrown into the process. Then there's also people like Lisa Lowe. I don't know if she's, I mean, I wouldn't consider her independent because she's so established. I don't, but I don't know if a label put out, I think Amazon put out her record if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I do think even, you know, I think you're right that it tends to be there a lot of major label stuff that gets nominated, but even in other categories, independent artists do get nominated in a pretty large number. You know, it's a matter of, I mean, you if you think about it, like Chance the Rapper is a totally an independent artist. You know, so, and like, yeah. you know, he won tons of awards a few years ago when he was had his records out. So I think it's possible. It's just, it's, you know, in the bigger categories, it's a matter of, reaching a lot of people which in today's uh age of social media is possible for somebody who's putting stuff on on soundcloud initially to to uh suddenly blow up and end up with a nomination so with that in mind how do we uh in the children's musician genre how do we get more than just one one call out when it comes to the grammys because i know like when i when i listen to it or when i watch it uh there's five or six categories i think just in gospel alone and not to say anything bad and not to 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 dismiss be dismissive about that but there's like you know uh performance recording album you know there's a whole bunch of of sub oh i guess awards recognition in in some of those other areas what would we need to do to expand it to maybe have it be children's song or children's performer and children's album i, I think something i mean like there's that. a lot of pushback uh they restructured the awards, um, I think, eight or nine years ago, where they trimmed down the categories. And that was when, back then, we used to have children's spoken word and children's musical album as separate categories. And along with a lot of other categories, they ended up getting rid of that and having just one children's category. I don't see that expanding because it's partially based on the number of recordings being made in, in, in a various in various genres 
and I mean, there's just a push to make it be a very special award. And I think the more awards you have, the less special winning one is. So I think they're kind of, if anything, pushing in the opposite direction in all genres to try to have there be less awards and have them have more value. Mm. But that's not to say, you know, the Grammys is one thing out of the places you can be recognized. And I think things like Parents' Choice and uh, Napa, you know, provide a lot of variance for other records to be recognized in various ways. And I think, you know, that's a very specialized group of people that look through those records and that's kind of a unique process into itself. Um, Mm -hmm. No, and that's fair. If it's, you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure you're like, you're watching when uh, Sirius XM kids place live was going to be pushed off the channels. And within 24 hours, the uh, community rose up, expressed their opinion on this and it was rescinded. It was like, Nope, they're good. They're going to stay because enough people, got involved basically that was incredible (laughs) oh like yeah i was one of the people who posted something (laughs) but i was not thinking it was going to change anything i was just doing it because i would like wanted people to be aware of it but like i was like there's no way they're gonna go back on this (laughs) and then oh yeah i mean i found about i found out about it in the morning and i was like i don't want to tell my kids this because we listen to it and then as an as a performer as an artist i was like oh seriously it's this is like the only yeah the only place that like dedicatedly right. plays uh-huh. independent kids music. So yeah. And I, so I posted and talked to people about it too, but I had no expectation. I, I was pretty sure that it was written to go the other way. Maybe it's because we've, I've grown a bit cynical just in general, uh, but that was very encouraging. And so it was one. Of, and so when I, when I look at other awards programs, it's like, well, maybe it's just a matter of us getting involved. Maybe if we, you know, in, in the, it, you have to make your voice heard yeah. and then you can, you know, you have to get engaged. That's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I was, lobbying Congress for uh, seven years prior to, I think, the Music Modernization Act coming along and go there every year. And you'd get things in the newspaper and it would be, there'd be some momentum behind some music legislation and then it would just kind of die. And I was thinking like, there's no way we're ever going to pass something, (laughs) you know, like getting Democrats and Republicans to agree. And, you know, we kept doing it. And then suddenly the word from the advocacy office was, no, I think this could happen. We're getting some really great movement in the house and, you know, all we have to do is get the Senate on board. And next thing we knew it was like a unanimous thing, which was incredible. So I think like, I I tend to be also get very cynical about things, but I think sometimes you just have to let that little bit of hope in in you uh, continue because Stuff can happen even when it doesn't seem like it's at all possible. And now Justin Roberts provides a brief primer on the Music (laughs) Modernization Act. Go ahead. It's your turn. So hopefully I won't get a failing grade, but I'll do my best. Uh, This basically was several different pieces of legislation that was kind of thrown together in one bill. Um, And there was a lot of conversation back and forth between music publishers and songwriters and artists and all these various factions that we had to get on board to get this thing passed. But one of the things it does, I I mentioned before, um, is it helps legacy artists, people that were making recordings prior to 1972, uh, get paid royalties on uh, satellite radio and internet. Uh, and that basically was a loophole in the copyright law that was being used to not pay royalties to those artists that were getting performance royalties like you might get from sound exchange. 
uh, if you made a record prior to 1972. So that was part of it. That was the Legacy Act. There was the AMP Act, which was for producers to be able to have a way to get their royalties paid directly from Sound Exchange rather than having to go to, to each individual artist uh, separately. They can and and getting paid by the artists themselves, they can get paid from Sound Exchange. And that was just a that was something that Sound Exchange was already doing, but now it's actually part of the law. Just like you have Sound Exchange for performance royalties, we didn't have anything like that on the songwriter side. So the other part was forming uh, an organization to represent songwriters and publishers to get royalties paid um, from internet plays and stuff like that uh, for songwriting. And then there were a few other things that, but kind of little things in the law that would help kind of there be rate parity between various services just to get musicians paid a little better for things that are happening in, in the streaming world. And it certainly isn't perfect and it didn't have everything that we ever wanted in a bill. There's still a problem where for terrestrial radio, performers are not being paid. So the songwriters get paid by radio, but the actual performer doesn't. So if you're someone like uh, Dionne Warwick and you sang a million top 10 songs, but you didn't write the songs, you're not getting paid a cent when they're played on radio, uh, on traditional radio. So that's something I think that we're still trying to push for in addition to other issues that will help musicians kind of figure out a way to make a living in this new music economy. Oh, I think that was pretty good. I did my best. I, I, give, you a, I give you a right solid <laughs> Yeah, beat. I was going to say, that's, that's right nothing that's higher, good. nothing lower. <laughs> Perfect time to throw in a song by Justin Roberts off of his 2002 release, Not Nap Time. This is Billy the Bully. up all the boys and he bopped them and he banged them and he throwed them in the toys was one of us got a minute of rest billy's always bopping us and banging us in the chest knocking us in the head poking us in the eye billy was a bully and he beat up all the guys he bullied one by one by one by Margaret was a meanie and she messed with all the girls She taught them and she teased them and she hurt them with her words She was so unkind, kind of like Billy with curls Margaret was a meanie and she messed with all the girls She teased them one by one by one by one Teased them one by one by one by one One by one by one by one She teased them one by one by one Smallest girl in the smallest grade Someone hardly known named Sally McCabe She'd seen it all, she'd seen enough So she stood on the table at the noontime lunch She raised her finger in the air To say that bullying was so last year And Margaret, yes, you heard me right And Billy, I know I'm only half your Seen. Billy laughed to see such a small thing Trying to beat the biggest boy 
meanest Margaret mean But then one by one by one by one It happened one by one by one by one One by one by one by one It started one by one by one by one Happened one by one by one by one It started one by one by one by one Okay, so so we move from that to uh, I, there's just a couple other things I want to I want to chat yep. with you about real quick if we could. One of them is um, the Grammy or the Recording Academy, and I'm going to move away from saying the word yeah. Grammys because that's the award program, yep. but we're talking about the Recording Academy, the Recording Academy, and streaming because you and I'm not going to say this. Um, I'll say this uh, as openly as I can. You were part of the glorious time of independent CD sales yes. when you could. Build a CD, you could put it out there, you could go to a show. It was really the only way for a lot of people to listen to it. It's that like 95 to 2005 decade, that 10-year period where whoosh, that was totally cool. Not so much now. Yeah, no. Uh, and that, you know, for me, that was sort of the way that my business worked was <laughs> selling recorded music and making recorded music. And also, you know, I'm really a big fan of just the art of recorded music i care about how it sounds and i like i like recordings that are beautifully made and beautifully engineered and you know if i imagine a string quartet i want to hire a string quartet to play on a record and so making recordings like that is really expensive but back when i could sell music it made sense i could invest all of that in a recording and know that i could sell a certain number of copies to not only make the money back but make enough back to make another record. Yeah, for me, I think for a lot of people in various genres, it's been a shock to try to figure out how to keep things going in the same way. I think with kids' music, it hit a lot later. Because people still were buying physical music a lot more uh, when they'd stopped buying it entirely in various, you know, pop fields. And, and I've not totally figured out the the equation for that. If I had, I, I would write a book on it or something. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that I kind of consciously did, but it also just happened to happen when that was going down was I started diversifying what I did so that I ended up writing some picture books for Putnam and um, got offered to write a musical with Emerald City in Chicago. And so I've kind of done different things than just make records and tour, which is kind of my the way that I did it for out of the 20 years, or it's actually been 22 years now. Most of that time was spent making a record every two years and then touring the whole time <laughs> in between making mm -hmm. records. But, you know, I just don't think it's really possible anymore. Uh, you know, you, everyone, you see independent artists are all over the place doing things like Patreon or, or uh, Kickstarter campaigns or things like that to help defray some of those costs. The, um, the recording Academy has got to be aware of this, obviously. So what, what do you see coming down the pike on their side to to keep the independent music uh, alive? Um, you know, well, I think, I do think, you know, as we continue to refine these laws, if we can keep, you know, musicians fighting for their rights, that we can continue to sort of help the situation because 
certainly things like Sound Exchange and this newer organization that will be for songwriters will help us get royalties that were never around before because Sound Exchange didn't exist when I started putting out records and touring the country. So I, that those kind of royalties are new to the game. So I'm hoping that more of that and just uh, just accepting a new world in some ways and trying to figure out different ways to to make it work are going to be the answers. And I think it's hardest for people in small genres with really dedicated followings because if you're a jazz musician, you know, maybe it was great when you could sell 5,000 copies of your record, but now you can't even do that. And I think it's a similar situation in, in kids' music. 50,000 streams are not going to do much for you, but but 5,000 sales would. So it's sort of a interesting conundrum. But mm-hmm. um I think, I don't know, I think the public's become more aware of it. And, you know, I saw a lot of support from fans of mine that wanted to hear new music from me. So I think some of those methods are the, the way I'm proceeding. Uh, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's strange because there's the individual side, like you and I are kind of in the same, yeah. like 5,000 CD sales is like break yeah, in right. for a lot yep. for, for these, yep. for those projects. Yep. And I knew that going in. And to see that diminishing returns, it's like, oh man, I, you know, am I even going to put, am I even going to make a physical product on the next yeah. one? Am I even going to make an album? Maybe I should just start doing singles and, you know, and I think, I think that's totally a completely acceptable way to go for me. Old school. I'm like, well, I kind of 10 tracks. It's an album. Yeah. I kind of put it together. I also but, like, uh, I mean, it's also just a old person thing, but I do like the album as a format and I like putting together a collection of songs and figuring out when I'm ready, when it's actually done or when I need one more song or, and then, you know, I don't know. I like that experience of sitting down and listening to a whole recording, but I think I'm in the minority, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm still going to make the things I want to make. <laughs> well, we can't change, we can't change the consumer part no. of it, but we can change the advocacy part yes. of it. And so I guess if there's recording Academy or other organizations out there that are looking for a way to open up our opportunities for the, for the artist, then that's, yeah. that's worthy. And I think, you know, I, I could see, I could see, yeah. I think that's a very smart move to, you know, do a bunch of singles and then maybe compile it into something because that seems to be the way that people are going these days and having more video content and all of that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what I've done as a career, and maybe it's just luck and when I fell into it, but I think a lot of what I've done is just not think too much about that side of things and just try to make really good music and then figure out how to market it later and hope that it somehow works. And so far that's worked, but it could be harder now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I can yeah. say. <laughs> but. Okay, so getting back to uh, now going from the, the Recording Academy, let's get right back to the Grammys yep. for, for just one more quick thing, if you yep. could. This is when we're doing this recording. It's, uh, was it beginning of September? Yep. I mean, this is really, this is it. This is the for your consideration, the FYC pitch time, right. because uh, the ballots are going to come out pretty soon and all members are going to have to evaluate. So if you were just starting out and you released your first album, what would you do to assume that you, the, the, that you wanted to make a run for it because it's fun to get engaged and do? So what would you do and what wouldn't you do? What are some of the, the do's and don'ts? And I'm asking you this on both sides, both as someone who's a member of the Academy and actively engaged and also somebody who's been through this process three times of being nominated. 
So what are your best practices? Um, well, the first thing I would probably recommend people do is to go to uh, Grammy.com and look up the awards process because there's a pretty interesting diagram on there and a lot of frequently asked questions of do's and don'ts that will help people know kind of what is when you're soliciting people, what, what you can do and what you can't do. And I, I think the rules have changed a little bit even uh, in the past year. But what I would say is you do need to let people know that you have a record out and that you've submitted it for consideration. Um, what you can't do is say, Hey, vote for me and I'll vote for you or, you know, do anything that would be um, detrimental to the process. But you can, if you're a children's musician, I would say, you know, make sure you have the contacts of every children's musician that you know, and even some that you don't and say, Hey, I made a record this year. I don't know if you're voting, but you know, love it if you could take a listen to it. And you sort of leave it at that. You don't do anything beyond that. But I think getting it in people's hands so that people can hear it. So people that vote in that category have a chance to listen to things. Um, there have absolutely been times where I've heard things that I did not know the name of the person, never heard of them before, loved the record and voted for it because that's the best way to discover things that you're not aware of. And certainly when I look through a ballot, I, I recognize a good number of people because I've been doing this long enough and I, you know, just, friends with people and acquaintances and things like that. So, but there are always a lot of names I don't know. And uh, so I would say, you know, getting it to as many people as you can is great. The thing I'm not a big fan of is people soliciting people from other genres to vote in their category, because I, I think it really ruins the process. I do think, I mean, personally, it's supposed to be a pure vo voted award. So I kind of wish that the people who are voting in children's were like experts in the children's category and not just in a disparate genre that, you know, mm -hmm. is voting. Because I think that's where the awards process gets a little sticky. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people probably decide they just want to get it out to as many people as possible and see what happens. It's been my experience that, you know, there were several years where I submitted my record and sent it to everyone I knew and didn't get nominated, uh, you know, I think I started in maybe 2004 or five with submitting records. But I think over time you, you get to meet more people, they hear your record. And I got a lot of responses afterwards that were like, Oh, I love that record. I wish it had gotten nominated. And, you know, you just keep at it and eventually you get, hopefully get recognized. Um, in terms of, of actually getting past that point, I, that hasn't happened to me, but I think like it's the kind of thing where, you know, oftentimes I look through the nominations and I like all the records. So it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, like it's whatever happens now, it's like, uh, it would be nice to win, but like at the same time, you know, it's a good group of recordings. There's always things that I wish were in there that aren't. And, but there's always good surprises and surprises. He said surprises. So that's the magic word of the day. How did he know? No, actually, um, I'm breaking in here because, uh, what follows is a, more concise and specific uh, definition and explanation of the Grammy process from Justin Roberts. We talked, we had, a, we had this great conversation and then we circled back afterwards because, you know, this isn't live. This, this isn't live. I'm not doing this right now. This was done a while ago. So I can do post-production because it's my podcast. <laughs> so anyway, what follows is, what you're about to hear, is Justin Roberts explaining to us 
the, uh, the Grammy process from his own words. And I think it's really good, so you should pay attention. Yeah, so I'll do my best to explain the process. Um, the first thing I'd recommend for anyone that's listening that wants to learn more about how records are nominated for Grammys is to go to Grammy.com and uh, find the Grammy Awards voting process webpage because that has a really great infographic that explains the whole process. And basically, you submit your record, and the first thing that happens is it goes through a screening process. And 99% of the time, the record will stay in the category that the artist submitted it in. But in those cases where uh, it was submitted in the incorrect category, let's say you made a traditional folk record, but you put it in children's, and it didn't really have any direct relationship to children's music then that might get pushed back into the folk category. But like I said, 99% of the time, the category that's submitted in, it stays in, and the screening is just a, a first step to make sure that it's in the right category. Um, from there, most of the categories are directly voted on by the members. The only ones that aren't are things like album notes and packaging and uh, immersive audio and things that are very specialized that those go straight to craft committees that are able to, you know, look at the packaging or they're experts in album notes and they determine the nominees uh, for those categories. And for the rest of the categories, the members vote in the first round ballot and everything that made it into the category will be on the ballot for the voters to look at and listen to. And from there, most of the categories have something called a nominations review committee. And this is a committee made up of artists within the genre, and it changes every year. They have members from every chapter, so it's geographically diverse, and they try to keep it diverse in other ways. Um, and like I said, the, this group changes every year, and the membership on the committee from year to year is kept secret uh, because you obviously don't want people uh, you know, harassing members to try to get them to vote for their record. In the past, there have been some discrepancies where, you know, Jethro Tull has gotten nominated and won an album for Best Heavy Metal or uh, more recently Tenacious D. And so, you know, from those experiences, the Recording Academy changes rules and adds nomination review committees to look at these genres and make sure that the nominations are representative of what's happening in the genre. If you look now at the nominees in heavy metal, it's pretty true to form of, of what somebody within that genre would think are the best records of the year. And that's helped a lot with uh, making the credibility of the Grammys go up in people's eyes. So after the nomination review committee, the um, nominees are announced and those are voted on again by the membership and nobody knows who won the Grammy until the night of the Grammys and the envelopes are opened. And Jethro Tull, winning a Grammy for heavy metal sounds like it was probably given to them by Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Uh, thank you, Justin Roberts, very much for circling back with us and making sure that we had a very clear uh, and complete understanding of how the process works. And now back to the originally recorded podcast. Having this extra committee in there has helped a lot. And I think you can see that oftentimes it's been a lot of independent artists getting nominated and, you know, just because you have a television show on the air, or like a 
Disney record doesn't actually get nominated because it's more about the music and the quality of it, which I think is important. When you go to submit, when you go to send out to uh, folks for review through the first process to get the nomination, I know um, used to be sending CDs was the way to go. And then people started to say, no, I want digital. And, and now it seems like, you know, SoundCloud or Bandcamp or Spotify. Do you personally have a preference as far as how these things show up? I mean, I'm really happy now that uh, you can submit recordings to the Grammys without a physical product. I think that is amazing. Like, that's a great, great thing for being slightly modern. As an old school person, I actually do like getting a physical record in the mail because I tend to listen while I'm driving. And when people take the time to send it to my P.O. box, I will listen to it. And I do try to listen to everything that comes through my email, but I, I would say that there might be more of a tendency for that to slip my mind unless I do it right away because it ends up going down my email box and it's not sitting there physically for me to listen to. But that's me. I don't think that's most people. I think most people don't want that. So <laughs> if someone sends me something in the children's category, I'm going to listen to it because I'm voting in that category. And even if they don't send it to me, I'm going to listen to it because I will go through the ballot and listen to the things that are entered. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not going to spend 45 minutes listening to the entire record, but I will spend some time sampling it uh, to get a sense of it. And if I like it, I'll listen to more. And uh, It would be ideal if everyone could listen to everything in its entirety, but I don't think that is physically possible and in some of the other categories it's impossible you know when you have thousands of entries but at least in children's it's a more reasonable amount Mm -hmm. i tend to keep up on things throughout the course of the year either listening to uh, you know kids place live or yeah uh, different uh, radio shows or podcasts things like that just so that you kind of hear things as they come out for the season and be like oh you know alphabet rockers they have a new one coming out or okie dokie brothers oh, that was like last november but oh yeah it's on this you know it's kind of cool just to take it in parts and parts and pieces I think. yeah definitely and that, and that that ends up like sticking in your head but i think that's what's been interesting for me is even after that going through the ballad and actually listening to stuff and then finding things and being like oh man i didn't know about this before but <laughs> I, this is amazing and like, <laughs> i've reached out to those people you know after that and just said wow i love i love what you do and like i've just met people that way well right on Justin, I can't thank you enough for taking time to uh, chat today. Your perspective is singular in the industry, considering where you are with the Recording Academy and as an advocate for children's musicians, for all musicians, but specifically, you know, for for me and other people who are trying to perform for children's and families and, and get it going. So from that side, a sincere thank you. Yeah, awesome. For what you do. And for also explaining... Uh, Everything. I'm going to give you like a B, B, B plus probably for today. Maybe a B or an A, possibly. <laughs> maybe a B or an A. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Cool. Any, uh, do you have any other last minute suggestions for the uh, children's musician who's just starting out? Things that you, you would say, hey, if you're going to do one thing, do this. I, you know, I would still say hiring a publicist is a really great way to get your music out to people. That is something that was recommended to me early on, and I still recommend that to people. Um, I also think maybe hiring a social media consultant um, who specializes in you know your basic, your basic social media accounts and, and how to reach a greater audience would probably be a newer way to get your music out to people since it now comes in snippets and little videos than ever before. Yeah, I would say those two things are probably the way to go. And I think, you know, 
getting out and touring and, you know, doing it the old fashioned Elvis Presley way where you create a spiral out of your hometown and, uh, build a following there and, and gradually work your way out is also just a great way to reach people. Word of mouth still works even if it's on social media, but, uh, getting out and playing in front of people, I think is one of the keys. Well, thanks again, Justin. And we will, uh, catch up with you later and, uh, yeah, keep making music and we'll keep listening. Great. Hey, thanks Justin Roberts for stopping by for giving us a great perspective on your career and for also letting us know the wonderful things that the Recording Academy is up to, encouraging us to sign up for it and get engaged with it. The political activism is really cool. The advocacy part of it is very neat. The uh, generosity of it when it comes to musicians who are struggling or in a tight spot, that was kind of eye-opening. I didn't really expect that from the Academy, and whoop, there it is. And also, thank you for the overview on the Grammys and how that process works. Because it's kind of, for me, the more I find out about it, the less of a mystique it has. And without that sort of mystique, it seems to make more sense as a, a, a competition to enter, plug into at whatever level of comfort you're at. And uh, it just seems to make more sense to me now. So I was very happy about that. Thank you again, Justin Roberts. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to be on this podcast, haha, well, you just got to send me a note. Go over to my website, uh, cowboyandy.com. There's a, a contact page on there. Or you can like us, uh, like my band page, Cowboy Andy and the Salamanders on Facebook. And uh, then you can message me straight through there. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. You can... Come to the coffee shop in Montana. Come up to Missoula and say hi, and we'll talk and have fun. It'll be great. And uh, and so and, and oh, here we go again. Oh, so I guess it's that time. And um, yep, stay tuned. Like the podcast, share the podcast, and uh, okay, fine. I'd like to thank the Academy for this award. I, I, I like to thank my mom. I want to thank the members of my band. Oh, thank Brandon Stevens. He's my graphic designer. Small or your girl.